John chapter 1, and we've been talking about the, the Advent season, and I've never done a series on Advent before. I didn't even know really what that meant, because I didn't grow up in a traditional or a Catholic church, so I had heard people here in, in the South preach on Advent messages, and I thought, wow, that'd be great, let's just do it. So we've been teaching, last week was our first Advent mes- message, and Jeff preached on that about the great I Am, and that was a great message. And so I want to just piggyback off of that. And um, something that April had said this morning, and that was just so perfect, it just flows so perfectly with what I want to share tonight, uh, this morning. And then what Jeff uh, said during the worship, that God transcends, he is transcendent. And that's a word I want to talk about this morning, the transcendence of God. I know that's a very big word, but let's not get freaked out by it. And I'm going to move this a little bit. That... Um, the transcendence of God. And a great problem I think that we have today is that people have this, that we have this disconnect um, between the meaningful and significant things versus mundane. And we separate the secular from the sacred or boring boring unspiritual things from the exciting hyper-spiritual and what that does is that mindset creates a vacuum or empty spaces in our life that can suck in the world's perspective on our life. And so there's this disconnect, and I've been thinking about this all week, there's this disconnect in our lives between that can happen so easily between the, the sacredness of God and the sacredness of um, our walk with God and just our, what we would call quote-unquote mundane or ordinary or not important. The miracle of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas addresses this whole perception and it changes everything. So this morning I just want to talk about three things. The transcendence of God, and I want to talk about that word. What does that mean, transcendence? It sounds something like Eastern. I'm not talking about transcendental meditation talking about the transcendence of God. And secondly, I would like to talk about the humility of Christ. And then I want to close with the mundane becomes very meaningful. David said in Psalm 113, verses 4 through 6, he said this. He said, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? Who Listen to this verse in verse 6. And this is what... um, A lot of translations bring this word out this way. Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. That's interesting. Who humbles himself just to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. Then Solomon said in 2 Chronicles 2 verse 6, he said this. And this is, of course, David's son. He says as he's building the temple or he's building a house for the Lord, he said, but who is able to build him a house since the heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. And so when we talk about the transcendence of God, we speak, we're speaking about something that means that he is far above the created universe, far above the highest heaven, far above human thought. And, and, our, and then human thought, the fleshly thought of man could never ever even attain to God. There is this massive, massive um, uh, distance it could seem And think about it for a moment. Think about these verses that we just read, that God humbles himself 
to look at, to behold the things that are in the heavens. Imagine that. Imagine you being in your yard and you stoop down and you're like getting really low and you're just on the ground trying to find something very, very small. God humbles himself to look at, to behold the things that are in the heaven. And God has to stoop down and to look at what's in heaven. We look up. I don't know if you've ever looked up at the night sky or you've looked up at the, at the clouds and we see this infinite, we see this, it seems like it's so far away, these clouds. We have to look up into heaven to see what is there, but God has to look down to see what those things are in the, in, in the heavens. God has to look down, he has to humble himself to even stoop down to look at the angels. Think of this. I'm on purpose drawing here a picture of, of what this verse says. He humbles himself to look at the things of heaven. Not only does he have to stoop down to look at what's happening in the heavens and on the earth, he, uh, he, has, to, um, he has to humble himself to even be mindful of us, to be mindful of man. He has to humble himself to be mindful of man. And this is what David said in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. So to think about this clearly, um, the word high above here, when it says, when David says this in Psalm 119, that, um, or 113, high above does not refer to what we would think is altitude. Okay, when we think of God's, God being in the heavenlies, when we think of God being in the heaven, above the heavens, that he is transcendent above all things, we cannot think in the realm of altitude, like a plane is flying at 30,000 feet. Uh, we cannot think in the, in the in, and just bear with me, this is a little bit of some uh, big thinking, and then we'll get practical, that God is not um, talking about his, his highness and his uh, greatness, his magnitude is not in realm of time and space and matter. Okay, we think of, okay, I'm here on this earth. Uh, the clouds are at the, you know, the clouds are, I think, are at 10,000, 15,000 feet. Then above that are, you know, then there's the, I, the, there's the ozone. And then beyond that is the this universe. And then God is beyond that. We think of altitude. This does not refer to altitude or physical distance. But what is it referring to? When it says that God is high above and that he is transcendent, it means that he is... His thoughts and his being and who he is is so much higher than the ways of man. And we know this verse. It says how it says that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. For They are higher. And this is really God. This is where God is at. And this is where the Christmas story begins. That God is in this transcendent place that no one could ever build a house for him. Like, okay, I want to build, imagine building a house for like the richest sheik in Saudi Arabia that would come here. You know, in Baltimore right now, the, the Hopkins, John Hopkins um, University Hospital is just gobbling up uh, major square parts of downtown Baltimore because um, Saudis and Arabs are flying in that have a lot of money to get treated there. And, and, uh, and they are actually buying up these ghetto areas of downtown Baltimore so that these, these sheiks and these, uh, these very wealthy foreigners could have a place to live with all of their servants and all of their, uh, all of their help. And they're doing this. Imagine trying to build a house for God. Okay? Imagine that was your task, building a house for God. Solomon, the wisest man, it's said that he was the wisest man. 
sets out to do this. And he actually writes a letter to the, um, to the king, and he says, uh, I'm out to build a house for the Lord, and this is what I need. And then he begins to describe this endeavor. Who could even ever build a house for God? God is so much bigger, and, and God is so much greater. And when we think of that, this is where the amazing story begins. This is the transcendence of God. And I think that if we pause there, that's an amazing thing. It's, I think, a healthy thing to like, understand like, the, the, where God is, where God is coming from when, he be, when the Christmas story began. What was the connecting factor? between the, the transcendence and the greatness and the majesty of God and our plight in our situation. What was the connecting factor? My wife and I were driving to the doctor yesterday morning to uh, bring Caleb to uh, get the re- results on a TB test. And um, I mean, this, I don't know, do kids normally cry when, when they get a TB test? I don't know, Caleb didn't. He was just like, what's going on? He was like, I don't know if this kid has any sense of pain or whatever. And so we're, we're driving up there, and we're going through these real small little towns, and there's this small Spanish church, and it said in Spanish, the Bridge to Christ Church. And, it was, and, and I'm sure it's an awesome church, and some great things are happening there, but I was thinking about that title, the Bridge to Christ. And I think that, that this is a concept that we could easily have as a church or as a person that we bridge the gap between people and Christ by ourselves. I just want to say that there is no gap between Christ and people. Christ came and dwelt among people. And what was that factor that connected God and to send his son to this earth? And that was the love of God, the love of God. And this is really what I want to park at here today. Here's the second thing I wanted to say is I, wanted to talk, I just wanted to talk about the humility of Christ. In John 1, verse 14 in the Amplified, it says this, the word of Christ, the wor- and the word Christ became flesh, human incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us. That's the greatest gospel story right there, that he pitched his tent and tabernacled among us. And actually we saw his glory his honor, his honor, his majesty, such glory as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest beauties of Christ is his humility. This was the most attractable thing about him. When he was on this earth in Luke 15, verse 1 through 3, or 1 through 5, This was what made Christ so attractive to people. Today, we live in a Christian culture that is just bent on being attractional as a church or attractional as Christianity or attractional as a faith. The most attractive thing in this church is Jesus Christ. Amen. The most attractive thing in Evergrace is the presence of Jesus Christ in in the midst of his people. That's the most attractive thing. That's why I come every Sunday morning... (laughs) That's why you come. It's because of Jesus Christ. He's attractive. And he's in, he, he dwells among us. And this was the most attractive thing. He was all, and this is a, another cr- amazing thing about Christ. He was always attracting broken, humble people. Yeah. Yet at the same time, there was something else that was going on. Um, he was making proud people very angry. Yeah. He was attracting very broken, humble people. But he was also making proud people 
very, very angry. And this is the Christmas message, is that this is going to, Christmas is going to be the true message, the true gospel message of, of Christmas is going to be very attractive if you're broken. Yes. And if there's something like, like God, I, in myself, in, in my flesh, they're just, I, I'm, I, I'm so empty. But in Christ, I, I just, I, I am so full. If you're there today, then Christ is attractive to you. But if we're in a place of self-sufficiency where we're making it happy, happen, and you know the GTD, right? The get it done, how do you say that? Just the G, get it done culture that we live in, checking off the box. And I can be, I personally can be so much that way because that's the, that's the, 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 the background that I come from, like a high achieving uh, family genetics. And if that's the way we live, you know what that can be? That can be, that can be very, that can be very, um, it can be very unattractive to yeah. be around that kind of a Christ. And so as we were doing service this morning, and if you're in ministry, especially church planting and, and in mission and, 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 and um, serving, as many, many of you have, um, there is an element that sometimes can be really funny, comical, and maybe even uncomfortable, and that's the human, that's the human element. And I think that that is the most beautiful thing that we have we have this beautiful element in our walk with Christ, in, in our humanity, because we are not, we are not pur- purporting to be a church that has no human fallacy, that we have all our, that we have our act together, that it's all great, and there's no issues going on. We rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is great in the midst of our humanity. Yes. And, in the, and this is what makes, this is, and I love that song that, that um, Marcus and, and Austin just sang, that he makes everything beautiful. Yeah. I was in Ukraine, and I just got back from Ukraine, and I was there for about seven, eight days. Thank you for your prayers. Um, it was just an amazing trip. I went to three different cities, um, and these were visiting churches that we had, my wife and I had planted when we were living over there, and just seeing the fruit that continues to grow, and people leading people to Christ. People that... You know, I think one of the most amazing things that are happening in Ukraine is that the church that we had the, it seems that we had the least to do with, that I had the least to do with, seems to be growing the fastest. (laughs) And every time I leave here, last time I went on a mission trip, I left and then I'm watching on, you know, Facebook and there's like these people in our church leading worship. And I was like, who are these people? My brother's preaching and all these, you know, the, the Wood families there. I didn't even know who these guys were. And like Austin's singing. And I was like, man, I got to leave my church more often because more people come. And it's a funny thing is, is that we are not in control. Our life as a believer, we are not in control. And we're not driving the program. As much as we would like to be doing that with our concepts, that the humility of Christ, Christ was not coming on the scene and dictating to everybody what they need to do. When Adam and Eve fell, God came into the garden. And did he come in um, large and in charge? Did he come in, you know, throwing everything around, upset and annoyed? And did he say, you know, where are you? What have you done with my creation? You have destroyed my creation. No, he came in and he came in as a seeking savior. Jesus Christ, in his humility, came in. He came, and this is the greatest story about Christmas. This is the greatest theological fact that, that the incarnation, God being born in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, we might, that may be, that may sound normal to us, but 
in the day shortly thereafter, and John the Apostle is writing about this, there was a growing philosophy that was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, if you've never heard of it, is a teaching that Christ did not come in the flesh, but he came in spirit, and that he died in spirit, that he didn't die in the flesh, and that, and that anything that is flesh or material is evil and bad. Does that exist today yes. in Christianity? It sure does. That we point at things and we say that's evil and that's bad, or that's evil and that's bad, or that's evil and that's bad. That is the leftover of one of the greatest enemies of the New Testament church. And one of these days I'd like to spend some time on it, and that's called Gnosticism. And that some of us are maybe hearing about that for the first time. It's a teaching that spirit is good and that matter is evil. And what results from that is what we call asceticism. And that means that, like, asceticism means that, means that I have to beat myself up, that I can't enjoy the gracious gifts of God in my life, that I have to live in poverty, or that I don't deserve anything great in my life because I'm such a bad, evil person, that my flesh is evil and it's, and it's, destru- and it's horrible, and that it's, and that it's gross. That is a concept that we don't see in the New Testament, and that's what I want to address here this morning, is that Christmas tells us that God in the, the perfect the perfect God, the Son of God, comes in the likeness of sinful flesh in Romans chapter 8, 3. And, what, is it, and what, what did he do? This was the greatest, this was the uttermost display of humility that God decided to associate with shifty characters like you and I. The God is in our life. I don't, have, you ever, have you ever been associated with somebody and you get in trouble? Yeah, uh, you, that's going to happen to you in this church. <laughs> like we get associated, you know, you get associated with somebody and then maybe a relationship ends because you know that person or you become friends on Facebook with somebody and that per- and you have no idea about this, but that person, there's a third party involved and says, oh, I don't like that person, but now you're friends with that person, so I don't like you. And so Jesus became guilty, not because he had a sin nature, not because he had an evil flesh, but he became guilty because he associated with people. Think about that. That's amazing. That Jesus became guilty and he, he did not resist that because he was not insecure about who he was. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that he did not think it robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God and he understood who he was and therefore he had no problem associating with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with thieves, with robbers, and even with the great high political people that did not want to associate with him because he was too controversial. The true Jesus Christ today is a very controversial individual. And if he was alive today, guess what would happen in our Christian culture? Would anything be different? No, he would be crucified again. He would be, he would be set up. He'd be on 24... 24-hour news cable TV, and he would heal somebody, and then everybody would find a problem with that, that that's not politically correct, or that happened, or he said this, and he would be smeared. And then eventually, because of his perfect goodness and kindness, would, would expose the evil that's in this world, and he would be crucified again. He would be crucified again. And that's something that happens to us, that happens to the church. Anyone that walks with God is going to be a target of, of, of un, unsolicited hardship. 
So he became, he became guilty because he was associated with us. And this is the third thing I wanted to say here this morning, is that the mundane, the ordinary, becomes something very meaningful. The ordinary, the, the humdrum, the this is not important, uh, becomes very sacred. And I love this about my faith, that I can do something that seems to be very unimportant something that seems to be very painful to me or something that I don't want to talk about or something about my past that I'm embarrassed about or something about me or my personality or defects that may be that you struggle with, maybe something that uh, you're ashamed of. But you know something? Jesus Christ comes into... And by the way, we never sit down and have these meetings every week and say, okay, well, I'm going to talk about this. So I want you to sing this worship song. I want April. I want April. I want you to talk about this and... Like this is all just the Holy Spirit does this all together. What makes beautiful, what God makes beautiful, what makes beautiful things is the presence of Jesus Christ. I was overseas in Ukraine, and I, as I said, and I was actually talking about our church here in Houston a lot. And people watch what's happening here. They look at the pictures and they send greetings, by the way. And, and I remember I told the story when I was in Ukraine about a time when I was in Philly and uh, the, the church replant that we did in Philadelphia was not easy. It, it's, it's easy to start from scratch. And, but we had come in and we were helping a, a pastor that was, um, that was retiring and the church was just in a hard situation. And I remember just putting, pour, pouring all of our, putting so much work into the building and putting so much work into the program and everything that we were doing, spending time with people. And I just remember... Um, I just remember one time coming one Sunday morning and there was like three people that showed up. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like I've been preparing all week. I've been making phone calls. We've just been reaching out to people and then three people show up. And I just remember my attitude just became like, wow, this is not a Christian attitude. Actually, I'm the pastor of the church and I have the worst attitude in the room. <laughs> and like the Holy Spirit said to me this, he goes, as I'm sitting there and there was like three elderly people, my wife, of course, uh, she's not elderly, but my wife was there. <laughs> and, and I just remember sitting there thinking, the Holy Spirit said, hey, hey, is Jesus enough in this situation? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? I was like, uh, not really. <laughs> not really right now. You know, I really like to have a, I'd like to have a whole other situation going on. And I was like, it's like, no, he's not right now. And i sorry I'm being honest with you. But it's, you know, like, though he was not. And so I got through the message and, you know, I went home. And I just remember going for a long walk and just thinking, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? And I just said, okay, he's got to be enough. He is enough. And I just remember just surrendering that whole thing to God. And I just remember God blessing it. Things came to, ha- things came to be. People started coming. I would like to say that today it's like a mega church, but it's not. Jesus is enough. Jesus is what made that church precious. You know, what does what makes Jesus precious? What makes situations precious for us? I was sitting down doing my bills um, the last couple of days, just thinking, okay, I got to do. I got to pay this. I got to pay that. Oh, I can't wait to get this done. I just got other stuff to do, and just and then I stopped and I thought, okay, this is very sacred because we're, I'm dealing with money that God has given us as a family. This is very sacred, and Jesus is in this, and this is beautiful. Even though I don't have what I need or, what I, or I do have what I need, Jesus is precious in this, 
this is very beautiful and this is meaningful. Why? Because I have money? No, it's because it's because Jesus is in the midst of this. When we talk about transcendence and we talk about the humility of Christ bridging the transcendence of God with, with us, we see that God makes things that are dirty, ugly, messy, not desirable, not the way I thought it was going to be, the way I'd like to have it differently. God makes that very, very beautiful because God is a spirit and to him magnitude and distance has no meaning. He is near you. God is near you. And he's not only near to you, but he's near to you than, you, than your pain. I think every person bears some kind of pain in their life. I just want to say, and I want to remind us, that God's spirit is closer to you than pain is to you. And if you're suffering physically today, maybe somebody's watching this online. I know people do, and they are suffering physically. God is closer to you than the feeling of your pain. That makes the smallest thing meaningful, like a manger. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, when you look at the major religions of the, of the world, you know, you look at the Taj Mahal, right? And that represents religion in India. When you look at the great mosques in, in, in Istanbul or in Mecca, that big black box that, that everyone goes to, the cabal there, whatever you call it, and that represents Islam. When you think of the Roman Catholic religion, you think of the Vatican, the big, beautiful designs of Rome uh, in, in Italy. But when you think of Christianity, you think of a manger, don't you? Yeah. Like, I love branding. I just love the whole concept of branding, and I think it's so cool to do that. And if I was God, I would have a different logo than a cross or a manger, which we know a manger was like this feeding trough that was where they put the slop to feed the animals. And that's where a baby, a newborn baby, is in that. And just think of the level of bacteria, the, the level of just grossness that was there. But what made, and, and you know what? You go by any neighborhood today here in, in spring, and you drive around, and you're going to see manger scenes. What made that manger scene beautiful? The presence of Jesus Christ. The presence of God in ultimate vulnerable weakness. I want to say this, is that when you're in a very vulnerable, weak situation where you just feel like you are not on your game and you're not, it's not going the way you'd like it to go or you'd like to see this go differently and you don't feel like in your game, but you're in that situation just being renewed in the spirit of your mind, waiting on God, and we're all there, guess what happens? That becomes a very beautiful situation because Christ is being manifested in that situation. Let me ask you, are you in a difficult situation in your relationship? This is Christmas time. More fun relationship situations happening. Okay, uh, are you in a business situation that you feel uncomfortable in, or that you are just you don't know what's going to happen? Okay, let the presence of Christ be be uh, be preeminent. Are you in a situation where you feel like that you are not a strong Christian, and you feel like you need to be stronger? I just want to say that strong Christians, strong Christian or strength in Christianity is not the goal of God. God is not out to make us stronger, stronger people. Yes, we are strong, but we're strong in Christ. God wants us to understand that our, our strength is when we default to the, uh, the power and the, and the strength of God. This is the Christmas gospel. It's the love of God being renewed in that love daily. 
and not making a law out of it. You know, we take Christmas, the most amazing event of the year, one of the most amazing events of the year, and somehow we make a law out of it because the flesh wants to make a law out of it. God gives us his son. He gives us this incredible gift to us, and yet somehow in human flesh, we take this and we make a law out of it that we need to in some way start giving and start manifesting goodness instead of just focusing on the the free gift of Jesus Christ. Meaningfulness, and this is the last thing I'll just say before we close, meaningfulness is when your world of time and space and matter has no meaning without the humbling presence of Jesus Christ bridging the gap. It's the Holy Spirit that brings significance to our world of matter. If you are in a place, if we're in a place today where, where Christmas is just, the whole preparation for Christmas is getting us down, uh, live in the presence of Jesus Christ. Understand the gift of him. God had a son. He had only one son, and he made him a missionary. And I want to close with this, is that missional thinking is when we understand who Jesus Christ is, and we are just ministering that to people. And we are living that out, that Jesus Christ is the grace gift. And when we exalt Jesus Christ in our midst, then that is when something missional happens. There's not another country in the world that talks about church planting more than in North America. Yet it's the, it is the last, it is, the, it is one of the last places in the world that, is, that it's happening in. Missions is something that, that the Christmas story is a story of mission. And I just pray, like my prayer for us as we talk about this together as a church, that we would have a vision to read our, reach our neighborhoods, that we would have a vision that we could reach downtown Houston, that we could go south of the border and overseas. And we're going to do that by the grace of God. We have a Costa Rica trip coming up in July we're talking about. So let's just bow our heads and and finish in prayer.